Welcome back to the show. Final hour here on Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Jason Bruff here as well. The official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. And this hour is brought to you by Campbell and Pound real estate appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. Uh, we were uh, w- w- we're looking forward to chatting with Columbus Blue Jackets GM Yarmo Kekalainen. That's coming up at 8.30. We'll do some what we learned in this segment as well. So get your submissions in. WWL to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. But joining us on the line right now, we're very pleased to talk a little baseball with Danny Vietti of CBS Sports. Danny, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? Doing well. Always happy to talk a little ball. How about you guys? Yeah, same here. Uh, We're doing very well. And I I wanted to start with what's kind of been the biggest story over the last week in Major League Baseball, which is the the Fernando Tatis Jr. PED suspension. And look, obviously, baseball fans are are familiar with seeing high-profile PED suspensions in the sport. But this one... I don't know if it's just because of the timing coming right after the Juan Soto trade or or the kind of litany of excuses that we're hearing from Tatis that don't really add up. It feels a little bit different. What's kind of stood out to you most about this story and how it's developed over the last week or so? Yeah, I think age has a lot to do with it, too. At, that, at such a young age, a guy that just signed a 14-year, $340 million contract a year ago, uh, obviously he dealt with injuries last season. Then coming into this year, he had the motorcycle accident. That was a bit shady in and of itself. Uh, it, just, you know, I've said this time and time again, I don't know if there's an athlete that means more to their city, more than Fernando Tatis Jr. does and or did to the city of San Diego, uh, a franchise that has never won a World Series, hadn't been to the playoffs in over a decade, all of a sudden this 19-year-old kid comes up to the big leagues and steals everybody's hearts in San Diego. They make it to the postseason for the first time in over a decade, and all of a sudden they have all this momentum with guys like Juan Soto, Manny Machado, uh, Hugh Darvish. They actually have stars in San Diego, and people are actually tabbing them as potential World Series contenders. And when the news broke that PEDs were involved with Fernando Tatis Jr., I think it was just complete heartbreak. Uh, over that city the good news for him is I just mentioned his age so he does have time to try and beg for forgiveness and maybe try to uh, save his his legacy is the first step of that potentially coming clean right and and maybe giving us a more a more understandable explanation or at least one that people can buy rather than what we've heard so far from the from the tattoos camp I would hope so but that's not what we've seen and, and over the last 48 hours uh, we've heard comments from his father, who's a former more, uh, Major League Baseball player, come out. And they said that Major League Baseball has not done a good job uh, in regards to just completely slamming on his son's career. Uh, and then we had Pedro Martinez come out yesterday and say that it's on the San Diego Padres for not keeping track of what's going into this kid's body. I, I think, to your point, if he wants to have forgiveness or if, if people are willing to forgive, it's going to start with the truth. Um, even if the truth is ringworm and he got clocked the ball from uh, some ringworm um, 
antibiotic or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know what he's going for, but if that is the truth, it's really hard to swallow for fans. And I, I said this yesterday on the Wake and Rake podcast, uh, it would have been a lot more understanding. Uh, and will, again, people would have been more willing to forgive if he just came out and said, look, I hate seeing my guys out on the field without me. I'm a competitor. I just wanted to get out there for my guys, and I made a huge mistake. Unfortunately, that's not the excuse he made, and he's going to have to roll with whatever this ringworm excuse is that he either made up or is, in fact, the truth. How does this affect the Padres? I mean, obviously losing a player like that, not being able to have him available for the postseason is a big deal. The interesting thing is, you know, the Dodgers are just so far ahead of the Padres anyways in the NL West, and they look like, again, the class of the National League. So it's a blow to the Padres, but were they always just going to be in pretty tough against the Dodgers anyways? No doubt. Not to mention the New York Mets as well. Uh, those two teams are just on another tier right now. Uh, the starting pitching that those two teams possess over in New York with you got your one-two with DeGrom, Max Scherzer, two potential uh, first ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, with Los Angeles, they're hoping to get Clayton Kershaw back from the IL, guys like Julio Urias. Tyler Anderson, Tony Gonsolin, uh, those are all-stars right there. And obviously the lineups that the, the Dodgers possess too. Um, and and not, to, not to forget the Atlanta Braves, who just beat the Mets two out of three to start this week and are the defending world champions. Uh, there's a lot of competition in the National League. Uh, the Padres do have the right mindset. You know, They asked Manny Machado, Joe Musgrove, Mike Clevenger about how the team expects to respond without Tatis. And they said, look, we've gotten this far without him. It would have been nice to have his talent in the building. Uh, but right now we're in a playoff position, and we've done that without Tatis all year. So um, I, I agree with them. I think they're a good team, not a great team, um, with, you know, with the loss to Tatis. So I think they're going to be competitive. But the Mets, uh, the uh, Braves, and the Dodgers are definitely more talented at this point in time. One of the other big stories right now in the American League is the fact that the New York New York Yankees, who started the season looking like a historically good team, looking unbeatable, have been scuffling for a little bit here. Uh, two and eleven, I believe, in their last thirteen. How much should Yankees fans be panicking? I mean, I know all Yankees fans in a stretch like this are always going to panic at least a little bit, but how much concern should they actually have for what's going on with their team right now? I think it's just all about timing at this point. If the season ended ended today, I don't think the Yankees like where they're at. Number one and number two, they're not playing well. So they're, if they're going into a playoff game hypothetically today, there's not a lot of confidence brewing from that clubhouse right now. The good news, obviously, goes without saying that the season doesn't end today. So there's still time to get their guys back. The loss of Giancarlo Stanton, he's been on the IL for the last month, uh, really ever since he won that, that uh, American League or uh, MVP in the All Star game this year. He's been on the shelf. Um, the loss of Jordan Montgomery when they traded him away to St. Louis, that was very questionable to me. So I still think they're trying to uh, kind of find their groove with their starting rotation. So the good news for them is that there's time. The bad news is that the playoffs are coming up quick. There's about 40 games left in this regular season. And nobody's going to be scared of the Yankees if or, and nobody's going to um, uh, no, nobody's going to look at the Yankees and be like, nobody's going to feel bad for them. If they have guys on the shelf, that's not, you know, that that's baseball. Um, so they, they have time, but time's running out quickly. I mean, the season goes by fast. I mean, uh, so if you're New York, 
I think your panic button, if you you know, if you're to rate it kind of one to ten, ten being uh, time to hit that panic button and freak out, I'd say it's about a five. Is there a clear number three team in the AL after the Yankees and the Astros? I look at the American League Central, and I really do. They're not even in first place right now. I love the talent that the White Sox possess, and I think they've really put that on display in this series against Houston. Uh, they won, they've won the first two games against Houston. Uh, Houston obviously has the best record in the American League, and Chicago has struggled really all, all, all season long. They've dealt with injuries with guys like Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, their pitching staff with Lance Lynn. Uh, they seem to be finding their way finally here in August, but they're only a few games over 500, so they're still not in first place in that division. So for that reason, if you're looking for a third team in the American League, you kind of have to go maybe out west to the Seattle Mariners. I think they're a threat. They're starting rotation, especially with the addition of Luis Castillo, is very strong. They have a good bullpen. Their lineup could use some uh, some upgrades, but obviously it's too late for that. Uh, but the Yankees and Astros are the top two teams in the American League, and we're still trying to figure out uh, you know, who's going to be a threat below those guys. Are the Toronto Blue Jays just fundamentally flawed? <laughs> you know, I think everyone was disappointed with what they did at the deadline, myself included. Uh, I think they were at – they had the issue of the COVID vaccine up there in, in Toronto, and I called an issue not to uh, get political here. I called an issue because – when front offices uh, received phone calls from the Toronto Blue Jays, my understanding is that there were other players that the Blue Jays were interested in. The problem is, is that the Blue Jays had to work through uh, COVID protocol. They had to see if the player was vaccinated. They had to see if the player, if they were not vaccinated, if they would be willing to get vaccinated before coming up to Toronto. When you have a trade deadline and you're on the clock, that's a lot of logistics that you have to go through. That's a lot of conversation. Uh, it's a lot of dialogue. That's not exactly uh, exactly a luxury when you're on a timer. Uh, so I think that put the Blue Jays at a disadvantage. They really need to needed to improve the bullpen. They did with Bass and Pop, and they've pitched well since coming over to Toronto. Um, they needed to improve their staff, but right now they're 18th in the league in ERA. And the old cliche, you got to pitch and play defense in the playoffs. Toronto has a great offense. They're top five in runs scored but they need to do better on the mound, and, and they haven't shown the consistency there, at least thus far. Danny, just before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about the AL MVP situation because it certainly seems like it, it is going to be Aaron Judge, and it's it's a little hard to argue. He's having such such a phenomenal season. Is there any case to be made for a repeat Shohei Otani win, though, given that you know it's not getting the same publicity that it got last season, but he's still doing some pretty incredible things playing as a two-way player? Yeah, I think right now, with respects to Dylan Cease and Justin Verlander, who are your front runners for American League Cy Young, I think Shohei actually has a better chance at American League Cy Young this year. Again, not the front runner yet, not the odds favorite, but the way he's been throwing the ball this year, he's been a top five American League pitcher all season long. With the bat, the batting average has declined a little bit, the OPS compared to last season, down a bit. Um, I think that's... Um, completely in conjunction with Mike Trout's injury. He hasn't seen as many pitches to hit since Mike Trout's been on the shelf. Uh, so I think it's less about what Aaron Judge does, and that's crazy to think about because Judge has a chance to set the American League single-season home run record. 
Uh, but it's more about just what Shohei does or does not do. And right now he's not swinging the bat at an MVP level. And what the Yankees have done over the course of the season, despite their recent struggles, Aaron Judge deserves a ton of credit. Um, We'll see if the bat comes alive for Shohei. But again, without Trout in that lineup, he's just not getting pitches to hit. Still doing it with the arm, but not as much with the bat. Danny, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Likewise. Thanks, guys. That is Danny Vietti. Covers uh, Major League Baseball for CBS Sports. Catching us up on some of the goings-on around Major League Baseball. All right, in about 15 minutes, we're going to chat with Columbus Blue Jackets GM Yarmo Kekalainen. Really looking forward to that. Before that conversation, let's do a little what we learned. So you can still get your submissions in 650, 650, hashtag WWL, what we learned in the last 24 hours of sports. And I know that our guy in the control room, Greg Ballack, has like 25 what we learned that he wants to run through today. Can so. we to narrow it down? Yeah, well, I don't know. Well, maybe lead with the best. Lead with the strongest <laughs> ones first. Well, I really want to play the Eckersley audio. Let's so do it. I, I think now is the right time for it. Uh, you guys were having a great conversation earlier about the effect of the CBA on the different leagues and the different issues that come along with all the different uh, approaches that the leagues take. Well, this is one of the results you get. The Pittsburgh Pirates, they're tanking. They're not making any bones about it. They have a lineup of a bunch of no-names. They have been for a while now, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. <laughs> they had a little stretch there where they were okay, and then they traded Andrew McCutcheon, and it's been more of the same. So Dennis Eckersley, the broadcaster for the Red Sox, who are in Pittsburgh for a series, took a look at their lineup, and the Red Sox were up like 5 nothing already at this point. Went on a little rant about what he thought of the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. You talk about a no-name lineup. I, I, there's no team like this. Love to see some of the service time you add it all up. It's not much. You know, just came from Kansas City seeing all those young kids. That's This is different, though. Doesn't it seem different? They have a lot of prospects they are playing over there. And, this, and serious prospects. Yes. The guys who are going to be in the big leagues. This is a hodgepodge of nothingness. They have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. Last year, they were actually 30th. It's ridiculous. It really is. Pathetic. Former Sox GM Ben Charrington is the Pirates general manager, and he has gone about rebuilding their farm system. Yeah, tell me they have a great farm system. Tell me they do. A hodgepodge of nothing. Yeah. That's an all-timer. So there's a couple, I love that. There's a couple of great drops that I think we're going to get great use out of, so let's go through them. Uh, anytime we have a lineup that's a little bit on the lighter side. You talk about a no-name lineup. <laughs> uh, anytime Halford and Breath go on a little rant, you know, you go off on a tangent about something that doesn't really matter. This is a hodgepodge of nothingness. And then yep. just in general for the show. It's ridiculous. It really is. Pathetic. So there I, you go. I can just imagine getting some great mileage of taking that audio and playing it over like an Arizona Coyotes game, clips of an Arizona Coyotes game or a Blackhawks game next year, right? Because that's going to be the situation. It's like, these guys aren't even prospects. That's the problem with revenue sharing in baseball right now. You can make money and be bad. And the other teams will give you money to be bad. It's basically mm-hmm. communism. It's why <laughs> communism doesn't work. JD Burke online too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really what we wanted to talk about today is yeah. you know communism versus capitalism. And yeah, we really wanted to dive. Well, they're into they're that. being paid to be a bad team essentially with the luxury tax. Mm-hmm. Well, there's just no incentive. The, the luxury tax that they get is the same as the salary of the team, so they could have zero fans and mm-hmm. still make money. Their role in this league is to be terrible for the teams that want to spend money yeah. to be good. So how do you solve it? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I honestly don't The know. luxury tax clearly is not working because these owners are taking the money 
that they're supposed to be using for the roster and just pocketing it. And this, is it a salary floor? Yeah. Probably Because this like text that. comes in, it's time for Major League Baseball to get a salary cap. It's beyond time. The unlevel playing field is a joke. The thing with the Pirates is it's not that they're desperately trying to compete and getting outmuscled by big market teams. They have no interest. A salary cap wouldn't fix it. It might make them backwardsly more competitive because other teams would have to give away talent. But the core issue is not that they don't have money to spend. It's that they have zero interest in actually trying to be good. And you're talking about just the revenue sharing. Then you factor in TV, TV deals. Yeah. Right. So like they're very profitable. They could easily be reinvesting this money back into the team. They just choose not to. And I have no idea. I have no idea how you solve that problem. Like just other than convincing the owners like, hey, actually, the reason you own this team is to try to win. Right. That's kind of a prerequisite. I. I don't know how you fix it. They can't even really sell their stadium anymore. And it is one of the nicer stadiums. Uh, I've been there a few times and I think it's the nicest new ballpark that I've been to. Like it's, it's, it's really just a nice experience, but they're only averaging like 16,000 people there in terms of attendance. They're right down there with Tampa and, well, not quite as far as Oakland. But. It looks less nice when you have to gouge your eyes out from the talent that's on the field. Yeah. The, the, it takes a bit of luster away from PNC Park. Yeah. There's only well, s- you have to go to the park not caring about who wins the games. Really? It's almost like going to the Nat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I'll, I'll go. I knew, yeah, you knew, you knew I was going to say that yeah. because it's true, right? And I'll that's go hang almost out and have you, a beer. You have to go sell the experience. Oh, it's a nice afternoon. Let's go sit outside. And watch the Pirates lose 9 nothing. Well, yeah, but okay. Maybe you'll see you'll see some other good players on, on the other team. By the way, um, what is Aaron Judge's contract situation and where do you think he's going to end up? So my understanding, he's a free agent after this year. Free agent, not? right? Yeah. yeah. So the the so, big story was he got a huge offer from the Yankees yeah. coming into this year and the Yankees fans when he rejected it, said, oh, he'll never he'll never make that much on the open market. But after the season he's having, I think he's going to make he's, that on the uh, open market. But so are the Yan- uh, have the Yankees basically said, like, this is our final offer for you? I don't think it was their final Can offer. Can you imagine them being they, outbid, uh, the Yankees getting <laughs> outbid for, like, one of the great sluggers in the game? That would be – their fan base would go ballistic If one that. of the other big teams comes along – Dodgers or if he is breaking like Babe Ruth yeah. and Roger Maris records and, then they d- and yeah, he's signed somewhere them. else. Yeah. I mean, I the thing is when you're starting to talk about a deal that big, you do legitimately narrow the teams that could potentially even be interested. Like, I don't know, LA, they have so many other big name expensive players. They'd, still be They'd probably <laughs> still be in on it. They're in on Soto. I think they're going to be But like even Boston that. is not spending money no. right now. They're trying to clear salary. Like, I don't think Chicago, the Cubs would mm-hmm. be so is it like houston la toronto <laughs> they could use let's an go. outfielder let's oh go. again let's go through for toronto <laughs> was there some was a, there there was a little bit of juan soto talk there was they had, the there was a rumored the package one. that they had offered for soto which included bo bichette is there still some kd talk to the raptors i think that's dead well, it's but it seems like is it all though? of the KD talk is kind of dead yeah for the most part the last update i saw i think was last week that said he looks at Boston and Philly as the kind of places he wants to go. But it, it kind of reminds me of like the JT Miller situation or something where it's like, oh, he's going to be traded. He's going to be traded. And then it's just weeks, months now of just not in a lot limbo of news. and everyone's just on vacation. Limbo. Yeah. And it was interesting too because the NBA released their, announced their, uh, their Christmas Day slate, right? Which is where they always try to get their big stars on and their, the marquee teams. 
And technically, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are still on the Brooklyn Nets. And in a normal year, they would 100% be in a Christmas Day game, and they were not on the schedule. So the schedule makers are kind of looking at it saying, I guess this guy is going to be gone, but we just have no idea when or where he is going to go yet. Give us a moo cow on ah. your what we learned, and it was an excellent one. Thank you. You're very welcome. I, I like the the feedback. Like You get from the... The guests a lot of the time saying great question. Mm-hmm. I feel like what I we, lead. I lead the league in great questions. You do. We had um, when we talked to uh, Julie Kliegman about the uh, the psychedelics earlier in the week. I believe mm-hmm. she said one of your questions was a valid question. A valid. Oh, val- that's which not I'd even. Never, I'd never heard before. That's a valid question. That's I'm like just, that's a really you. valid I'm, question. I'm glad you didn't strike it down. <laughs> Stricken from the record. Um, I learned that Drew Locke was going to start. For the Seattle Seahawks in their second preseason game Thursday in Chicago. But unfortunately, he's tested positive for COVID, so that can't happen now. And if you're still interested in the Seahawks, and I wouldn't blame you if you bowed out for this season, <laughs> but they do have a quarterback battle of sorts between Geno Smith and Drew Locke. And Drew Locke showed some signs, some good things in the first preseason game against Pittsburgh, and some bad things too. But a lot of the good things were against depth defenders or without the best weapons that the Seahawks have. And I think a lot of people were wondering if Pete Carroll was going to give Drew Locke an opportunity to show that he can be the Seahawks starting quarterback for game one against the Denver Broncos Monday, September 12th. And that, of course, is the return of Russell Wilson. And wouldn't that be interesting if it was Drew Locke? versus Russell Wilson, but the way things are looking right now, you have to imagine that it's probably going to be Geno Smith starting that game for the Seahawks against the Denver Broncos. Now, the Seahawks do have another preseason game after Thursdays against the Bears, and it's Friday, August 26th, so there's an eight-day gap. So there's plenty of time for for Drew Locke to recover from COVID, um, test negative, and still start that game in Dallas. I just wonder if Pete Carroll is more likely to be like, that was your game to start, and we're just going to go now with Geno Smith. And if Geno Smith gets hurt or isn't good enough, maybe that's how you're yeah. going to get your chance going forward. We'll look for another opportunity to get him in the mix, but the fact that they were already – you know, Geno Smith was kind of leading the competition, or at least he was kind of the default option already before this – now you lose an opportunity to go out there and get your reps and show what you can do. It does It does feel like it's pointing uh, in the Geno Smith direction for uh, for week one, which, hey, if that doesn't get you excited, what will? Uh, a lot of other stuff. <laughs> uh, give us a moo cow on that. We're going to go to break now because Yermo Kekalainen, the general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, is going to join us next. I'm sure you're all going to want to hear this. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Now, marching up ice, Liney around the hub, what a goal! End-to-end Patrick Liney, and we're tied at three, a beauty! Welcome back to Halford & Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. The official automotive sponsor of Halford & Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. 
Experience the Delari difference today. This hour of the show is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. And we are now very pleased to be joined on the line by the general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Yarmo Kekalainen. Yarmo, thanks very much for doing this. I- I'd ask you how your summer is going, but given everything that's happened with the Blue Jackets, I'm guessing you're having a pretty good summer so far. So far, so good. Anxiously waiting for the season to start. Yeah, we are as well. And again, thank you very much for uh, for making time to chat with us today. So obviously the, the big story, the biggest story, not just for Columbus, but in the NHL this summer was Johnny Gaudreau signing with your team. Just take us through a little bit of, of how that came together and how that contract ended up getting done. Well, you always have your list of the top free agents that you want to contact when the, uh, the market opens and he was obviously on top of our list and we made the initial contact with him and, and, and talked to his representatives and, and he expressed interest and we were like, well, great, let's see if it's real. And then o- over the course of the afternoon, uh, it became clear that, that, uh, we were one of his top destinations and we started talking about the contract and, and, um, got it done, uh, later in the afternoon. And obviously we were very pleased and, and, uh, excited about it. Were you surprised? Well, I mean, you know, you you always um, you always hope and and you're optimistic about landing the top free agents, and and it hasn't really happened to us before, and it's it, we've been on the other end of it, to be honest. So we, we were we were positively uh, surprised, maybe a little bit, but pleased mo- most of all, and and uh, and uh, very very excited. How much does this decision that Johnny Gaudreau and, and you made um, to commit to a player that is right in his prime, um, one of the best players in the NHL, one of the most dangerous offensive players in the NHL, how does it change the trajectory of your team? Or does it change any internal planning? Or does it change timelines for when you want to be competitive in a Stanley Cup contender? Well, he's, he's a guy that can make an impact on any team. And that's what we expect from him with our team too. We're a young team, and and we're projecting to be good. Maybe not immediately, but in in the near future. And I think this accelerates our process um, a bit. But um, you know, we uh, we made some big decisions a year ago, and and um, you know, traded a couple of our older core players that had been a big part of our success when we went into the playoffs four years in a row, and. And, um, you know, in, in 2019, we felt that we had a pretty good chance to go all the way. We beat Tampa and ran into Boston in the second round, and they were two of the top teams in the whole National Hockey League. And we didn't go any further because we got beat by Boston. But, but we, um, you know, that, that was the peak of our, our core at that time, and we felt that we needed to change it. And so, so we traded some of our players, and, and we knew that it was going to be a bit of a reset where we're going to have to build a, around a new young core, younger core. And um, that's what we've been doing the last couple of years here now. And, and uh, But but getting a player like Johnny Goudreau will make other players better around him and our, our team as well. So we expect him to make a big impact, not only in the games, but also the way uh, our team practices and how our young guys develop. And they see an example uh, next to him every day that what, what it means to, to be a top player in this league and what it requires from everybody day to day. So, yes, we, we expect a big impact from him and, and, and hopefully accelerate our process a bit. 
Well, and talking about that impact, you know, on the ice and off the ice, as you said, it, you also mentioned it a little bit earlier in the interview, just, you know, Columbus hasn't landed a big free agent like that, really, in, in the team's history. How important was that? You know, obviously, you're you're doing it because of what he's going to give you on the ice, first and foremost. But how meaningful was it for the Blue Jackets and, and for you as the GM to be able to say, we got the prized player on the free agent market this year? I think it's very important. We've gotten a bad rap for no reason, actually, when we had a few players leave. Some of them we wanted to sign, some of them we didn't, and and they all go into the same pile. And people are saying all oh, these 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 players left, and but we can't go really in, in, into you know publicly say that you know we didn't want to sign player X or player Y. We we wanted to sign the uh, the Z, but not the other two. But so you just kind of swallow your pride and, and say, okay, well that's that's a bad rap we're getting, but. There's also a lot of our core players that are, are are very good players in the NHL that decided to stay here and sign long term with us, including guys like Zach Wierenski and Boone Jenner, um, and and we know that that this is a great destination. We know it's a great sports city. We have a, a, a great ownership here, and and uh, top facilities, all, all, everything that that you need to be a a good hockey player in the National Hockey League. So. You know, I think this probably and should change the perception that there's something wrong with the city of Columbus or the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is a, we, we've we've got a great young core growing here, and we got a good thing going, and, and our fan base is unbelievable. So, um, hopefully, this will this will change uh, in, into the future as well. You know, in addition to Johnny Gaudreau, you also have some very, very exciting young players in your organization who are either just starting their NHL careers or that you just drafted in this this most recent draft. How do you balance trying to accelerate the process of getting better and becoming competitive now that you've made the big signing versus also remaining patient and maybe sticking to a little bit of the plan with those young players that you had before you were able to acquire Johnny Gaudreau? Yeah, well, we expect Johnny Gaudreau to be good for the for the length of the contract. He's he's the type of player that that has longevity. He's he's a um, light on his feet, and he he can move, he can skate. The game's getting faster and faster, and our young guys are going to grow with him. And, and as you said, we have some very exciting young players. Cole Sillinger, to name one, that played as an 18 year old the whole season, and and he's going to be definitely a huge part of that core growing together and, and getting better each and every day and, and, and year by year here. So I think we've got some great years ahead of us. How excited was Patrick Line about the addition of Johnny Gaudreau? He was very excited. He said he's, that's the most excited he's been in his hockey career to have an opportunity to make a play with a guy like that on the same line. That's obviously up to the coaching staff to decide, but um, you know, I, I I think that was part of our our, our decision making here too to uh, to create some chemistry between the offensive players like Patrick Line and, and Johnny Goudreau and and now we have a, a forward in Johnny Goudreau that's one of the top playmakers in the whole game and 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 a uh, goal scorer like Patrick Line that uh, will get some some quality opportunities from a creative player like Johnny to to um, you know uh, create some more offense uh, for our team and. I think it'll be exciting uh, options for the coaching staff. Why do you think Patrick has had such ups and downs? I think he puts a lot of pressure on himself. I think he expects to be very good every night and and uh, you know, may, maybe relies on his statistics a little bit too much, something that we've talked to him about, that 
you know, you can impact the game in many different ways, and it doesn't always have to be goals and assists. It can be, um, you know, a, a solid 200-foot game that you play, and, and um, you know, we're, we're all playing to win here, you know, whether it's 3-2-2-1 or, or 6-5, and, and that that's something that you need to take pride in and, and not just always look at the statistics, but I think he... He's driven to score goals and create offense, so he, he gets rewarded with with the uh, with the offensive production. But um, I think he's grown um, a lot as a player. He, he did that last year. He had a point per game season, but at the same time, he uh, he grew a lot on on both sides of the puck. and And he's only 24 years old, so we expect big things in this in his growth and development in the next few years here. And and I, I think the the um, the potential is is sky high with him and, and, and his ability. We're speaking with Blue Jackets GM Yarmo Kekalainen here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Yarmo, um, for years, um, whether this was right or wrong, the perception was that the culture of the Blue Jackets, at least on ice, was largely defined by John Tortorella being the head coach. With, with Brad Larson having taken over the head coaching duties, and I know Brad has been with the organization for a while, how has the culture changed? What What are the goals for building, or do you need to rebuild the culture in Columbus? Well, I think part of the strong culture that, that John Tortorella helped us uh, build here was the uh, the work ethic every day and the um, the um, standard of of work that you need to bring to the rink every day. and And I think that's what's made him a very successful coach in the National Hockey League for a long time. Brad Larson that does not, um, um, you know, take away anything from that. As a matter of fact, he has the same high standards for those qualities. But at the same time, he's 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 different. He's a, he's a very good communicator. He's he's very good with young players. He's a very good person. On top of being a good coach, he he coaches the the players not only to become good hockey players, but good athletes, and good human beings and good teammates. So. I think he's a combination of, of a lot of the great qualities that Torts had here and, and helped us build. But uh, at the same time, he brings his own flavor on the table. Where, where uh, he's a different coach, but a very positive coach, very demanding coach. But at the same time, like I said, he's a he's, a, he's an excellent communicator. Yarmar, I wanted to ask you specifically about one of uh, one of your exciting young players, Kent Johnson, who's very very familiar to fans here. He's from the Vancouver area. We keep a close eye on his progress, of course, playing at the World Juniors right now. What makes him such a, an exciting prospect, and what are your expectations for him in this upcoming season? Well, he, he's one of definitely one of those young players that we expect to be and build our core in the, in the near future here and into the future. He's, he's such a creative, uh, offensive player. Um, you know, obviously you've seen the highlights of, of Kent Johnson and what he can do. He's another player that needs to get stronger and, and, and build a foot, uh, two hundred foot game that that uh, that he can be trusted by the coaching staff in all situations. But he definitely has all kinds of potential to do, to do that. There's work to be done to get stronger and, and and meet the demands of the National Hockey League. But we saw a glimpse of that already on this level, and we're very pleased. And and uh, you know we've seen it at Michigan, we've seen it at the World Junior level, and and we couldn't be more excited to have him. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've drafted three defensemen with first-round picks in the last two years. Um, are you simply a best player available type 
drafter or do you sometimes weight the positions that are harder to find in trades, harder to find in free agency and some of those, and that might, that might be defensemen these days. Yeah. I, I think that uh, you have to have the principle. That's, 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 that's at least what I believe in is that you have to have the best player available principle in, in drafting players because your needs can change so quickly before they even develop into NHL players. I'd say that, Generally, defensemen and, and centerizemen are hardest to find in a trade. Nobody really wants to give up a, a top two or even top four defenseman or or a, or a top two line centerman in a trade. So they're very rarely available. But um, you know, you, I, I could give you a, a hundred examples of if you had taken a centerman ahead of a winger, that you would have made a, a huge mistake by doing it just f- for the position. So. Um, you know, if if you have too many good defensemen, if you have too many top four defensemen in your in your depth chart, I, I think that's your best chance to make a trade for a center iceman too. So, um, you ne- never have too many good D or never have too too many good center icemen. So, um, but but in general, uh, you you could look and and look at the uh, draft order of any draft. In, in the last 20 years and you can find a winger that, that, and, and a center behind him that if you were taking the center instead of the winger, because you wanted that position, you would have made a bad decision. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going to stick to that principle that we're going to try to take the best player available that, uh, are based on our list and what the scouts are working for all year. And, um, you know, we'll work on our depth chart if, if there's too many, too many D or, or too many centers. And, and that would be a very good problem to have. Yarmo, just uh, big picture wise, um, we still hear media and fans still hear uh, that teams want to make moves. And I'm not specifically asking about the Blue Jackets. They want to make moves, but it's impossible to, not impossible, but very difficult to move money. And the flat cap has made things very challenging. Do you, do you think there's going to be a flurry of moves before training camp, just league wide? Are, are there things that you can sense are going to happen? It's 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 possible, but but as you said, the cap space is limited, and and you know you can see it's been pretty much shrunk league wide, where there's only a handful of teams that have any cap space. So it would have to be a match made with with those teams, and some of them don't want to spend all of their cap space, and and there may be budgets involved as well, and and um, you know it, it um, in order to make a move, the cap teams will have to have money out. And money in equally, so uh, it's it's not as easy in in this flat cap world as as it may seem. So um, yeah, there are, there are a few teams that have that flexibility still if they wanted to add something and help the teams that, or make a trade with the teams that um, that needed to move money in order to get that flexibility. But uh, I don't see a big flurry coming up. There may be a few moves, but uh, I don't see a lot of it. How frustrating is it from a general manager's perspective, especially with the cap having been flat or very very close to flat for a few years now? I mean, I even look at at Columbus's situation, and you're able to land Johnny Gaudreau, which you know you do all every time it's available to you. But you also then had to make a trade that saw Oliver Bjorkstrand leave the team. You know, you you were able to add a, an impact player, but also you had to lose a, a good player as a as a result of that. How frustrating is dealing within those constraints that exist right now? It is frustrating. As I said at the time, it was probably one of the hardest decisions I had to make in, to trade a player like Oliver Bjorkstrand that we 
loved here and was a big part of our team for many years. And and uh, but but we also feel that we have a lot of young wingers that have the potential to replace him. But um, you know, getting a player like Johnny Goudreau is something you, is that is really hard to pass on. So we we knew that we had to uh, to do something after we landed Johnny, and, and this was the uh, as I said, it was the um, best one best option of the of the bad options that that were in front of us and and um you know it it hurts but it's it's also part of the business and we knew we had to do something something had to give after we got Johnny and and hopefully our young players develop the way we have projected them to develop and take on some of the uh, opportunities and the ice time that Oliver leaves open now with our team Yarmo thanks very much for taking time to chat with us today we really appreciate it and best of luck in the upcoming season Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That is Yarmo Kekalainen. and he is, of course, the general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, one of the stars of the NHL offseason this year, landing Johnny Gaudreau and just transforming, really, the future of that franchise in, you know, in one day. And, you know, for, for the general manager of a small market team, and I'm sure he'd be frustrated at that phrase, by the way, so hopefully he's hung up. <laughs> But for the general manager of a small market team, he's made some news over the oh, yeah. last few years. Yep. Like the, the trade deadline acquisition to load up and make a run a few years ago. And then all of the resulting trades in, in the rebuild, trading a guy like Seth Jones to Chicago. That was a good trade for Columbus. Dynamite trade. Signing Johnny Goudreau. And also hiring Torts. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he was the guy that did that. And then parting ways with torts. There's been a lot of news coming out of Columbus to the the point where we don't even like, oh oh yeah, and the Patrick Line and Pierre Dubois trade, right? Like which was that's a blockbuster deal. Which was massive, right? And almost it's like fourth or fifth on on the list of things that have happened with the Columbus Blue Jackets. he's a really interesting guy. And I, I get the feeling like he's 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 um he's the type of general manager I wish we had more of. Yeah. Because he's aggressive and he takes swings. You said something earlier, right, that in the NHL, it's hard to fight the system. There, There's certain – you're going to be forced into certain cycles with your yeah. team and how you build your Don't team. Don't fight the cycle. And Yarmo seems to embrace that a little bit, right? Like, okay, we're going to load up because we think we have a good yeah. team and we need to win a, play, a playoff series here. That worked. All right, some of those guys are leaving. Let's switch to the other track. Rather than panic and, mm-hmm. oh, we got to find a way to, to be the eighth seed again next year. We're in a different cycle now, so we're going to change things. And I think he alluded to, okay, and then Johnny Goudreau. I don't want to say fall into their laps because, as mm-hmm. he said, you're targeting him and you always hope. But Johnny Goudreau unexpectedly joins your team. Well, you got to shift gears and you got to think now you're in a little bit of a different cycle as well. So maybe some of those first-round draft picks that they've actually acquired in the la- and actually made the selections on, mm-hmm. you never know. Maybe those guys will be in play, mm-hmm. right? For for a team that's that's looking for that type of player, they're looking for a young 19, 20-year-old player that has some pedigree. Maybe Columbus is going to find itself in a position of like, hey, we got Johnny Gaudreau here. He's a really good player. But how are we going to get a good veteran player that's on a good contract that we can afford? Well, maybe they start. You know, I just wish there'd be more of that wheeling and dealing type of of general managing. Yep. And I realize it's challenging, but I think generally speaking, NHL general managers, like if you were to ask, are most NHL general managers cowboys or are they conservative? Conservative. Conservative. Pretty easily. Right? Right. Like that's an easy question 
to answer. And I do think sometimes the cap is almost a bit of a scapegoat for why you didn't make more moves, right? Like the real reason is, I don't want to say scared, but it's always kind of safer not to make the big move, right? Not to make the big splash. Sure. Because as soon as you make the Might big go splash, wrong. You're, you're staking your claim to a certain move. Mm-hmm. And if it goes wrong, you're going to be in trouble. So I do think sometimes GMs end up using the salary cap as an excuse to explain why they haven't been more bold, right? Well, you know, we would have loved to make a move, but it's yep. just so hard with the salary cap. But in actuality, it's maybe some fear of uh, making a big move from time to time. Um, Valak, you want to run down uh, some more of your uh, what we learns here? <laughs> you got any good ones? Actually, hold on. I have another. We can go to the listeners. How about the, yeah, listeners, the listeners for a few? Let's go uh, to the listeners. Minor Matt in Abbotsford. What we learned, Jamie drives the Halbro bus better than wow. Halford. You, this has been the, the the show has not gone off the rails like it often does when when Halford's in control and you can picture Halford trying to drive the bus, but oftentimes he's the one that helps like get it off the rails. So he's this is like a hodgepodge a, of nothingness. Yeah, there's a lot of hodgepodge of nothingness going on when the when Halford is driving the bus. Uh, you do a very responsible. You are yes. a responsible right. bus driver. I'm a defensive driver. Or something. You, you have to be with Jason. Then. Be defensive. <laughs> yes. yes, constantly exactly. on the defense. Uh, w- you know, here's the thing, though, Jamie. I bet you came in as like, "Oh, Bruff's gonna be difficult to deal with." Have I been? Well, no, you haven't been at all. Yeah. I've not been difficult to deal with at all. See, and I, I'm not sucking up. I'm not just saying it for air. That is absolutely true. What I'm trying to do is tr- in, is swing the narrative a little bit because the narrative has always been that Halford's the good guy. You know, like he's the He's the carefree guy that makes the show fun and Bruff is always trying to like stir things up and cause stress and cause problems. It's not that, folks. It's not that, folks. Well, you heard what the Moach said when you were gone, right? Well, Halford brings the positive attitude. Yeah, Halford's such a great guy. That, that's and, that's yeah. the false narrative yeah. that has it's, been built. Moach and, has and, been pushing it. And largely it's been built by Halford. He is a criminal genius, basically. But it's I think, but you know, it started to turn a little bit a few weeks ago. Do you remember when when we got on the whole track that Halford doesn't actually listen to anything that you say yeah. or care about anything you say? You can say like, "Oh, my house burned down yesterday." You'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah." As he's I have a house too, right? Like, like he so heard, all he heard project. house. All he heard was house. He was like, "Oh yeah, houses are important for shelter." <laughs> Up next on the show, <laughs> yeah. yeah, radio magic doesn't care. Radio magic. Uh, um, Marcus and Gibson says what we learned. I learned Jamie has managed to keep Jason happy. No yawning saved him. That was I was very concerned about that because last week I spent a lot of time yawning uh, when I was doing it with Reach, and maybe maybe driving the bus, being the A chair, has like zapped the yawns out of me or something. Maybe I'm just adjusting, but I don't mm-hmm. think I've done as much. Well, that's fear. I don't that's, think I've done. Yeah, fear, maybe it's Jason. just fear. I, yeah. It's like, I can't yawn in front of Bruff. I can't do it. It's Laddie's yawning that, that bugs me because I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll turn right. I'll, I'll, I'll like, I, I turn right in the studio and like, I'm thinking, oh, this is a pretty good conversation. And then Laddie just yawns right in my face. You know who's face. let out a bunch of yawns today has been A-Dog. Because he's hiding. He's yeah, hiding. He I can't, can't even see Bruff A-Dog. I know. I love this little thing in front of yeah. Bruff because we can't make eye contact. Every time you want it. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. If you're in that chair and you want to talk to A-Dog, you have to like crane your neck way around a screen know, just wonderful. to make I eye contact. I feel protected. You're all like hidden away. In yeah, there. Sometimes your mic doesn't work. You can't talk to us. It's yeah. great. You oh, just have wonderful. a little a little area of solitude back there in the studio. And here come the horse jokes. Yeah. Jeff from Mission. Jamie runs the show with horse blinders on. 
Uh, another text, Dodds has been feeding Bruff apples, keeping him calm. Yeah, there is. I did notice a salt lick in here, which was... Uh, we installed that for my mood. We installed yeah. it the other day. <laughs> glad you That's noticed. why they're doing the renos in here. They're turning it into a stable. Stable slash studio. Oh, man. All right. So we got two days left. We have two together. days left of this. Yeah. Thursday and Friday. Thanks for listening, everyone. It is Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650.